This is Finding Founders, a podcast showcasing the vibrant entrepreneurial spirit of Los Angeles and my journey to find the founders responsible. I'm Samuel Donner, and today on the show, we talk to Melinda Moore, founder of More Ventures, Loving Eco, Tuesday Nights, Software Television, They, iConsumer, you get the idea. Melinda is a serial entrepreneur and has had many successes and failures, but her insatiable drive to educate herself and those around her keeps her moving forward. I've always chosen to be more on a roller coaster than a than a merry-go-round. So it's like at this point, and entrepreneurship is much more about a roller coaster. You know, over time, there are going to be high, high, high highs and like low, low, low lows. And so you just have to brace yourself and know that they're going to come. So now I'm on a high, high, high. Like I know there's going to be a low, low, low because it's just the way it is. Melinda grew up surrounded by nature, so she developed a profound understanding and love of the natural world that she would carry throughout her career. I was born in Santa Monica. I was raised here, and because I was, I was so inspired by natural beauty. So the ocean, the mountains, I grew up surfing and skiing and walking on the beach and enjoying the sunset, so I was always inspired to kind of protect the environment just from where I was born. My dad is 6'8", so he's very athletic. I'm 5'8", but I you know, was born with muscles and loved to be outside and kind of was a tomboy. So it just was something that I loved to do, was just naturally explore and, and be physical. And did you continue that physicality into high school and college? I was in high school here in Santa Monica and I wanted to get out. And so I went to the UC Santa Cruz campus and saw the redwood trees and the ocean view. And I just was like, and took a breath. And it was like where I could study, push myself, but be in a place where I could really be mindful, relax, and be more creative. So I think it was at UC Santa Cruz where I truly realized how much nature recharges my battery and allows me to have very creative moments. So it's that ability to like just shut down, put everything behind you, take a walk, movement as well really helps because then I'm not stuck in my current thoughts. I'm just like very open and flexible. So it was really in the mountains of Santa Cruz and the Redwoods and the ocean there truly reinforced like how powerful nature was for me as as, um, motivating and recharging me. Melinda constantly learned from the natural world, but she also valued traditional and practical education. Growing up surrounded by educators, she understood education's role in bettering herself and the people around her. I love being able to help others. Education is like being able to pass on this knowledge. And for me, because I've done it practical education, it's not like coming from a formula in a book. The way that I really like to teach is more from true practical experience. My dad was a teacher, my grandfather was an educator, my grandmother was a teacher. So it comes from heritage of my family on my father's side in terms of valuing education and valuing being a teacher. Pursuing her own education, she transferred from UC Santa Cruz to UCLA and quickly realized that a transition to a much larger school brought a myriad of new challenges. However, this change of scale allowed her to pursue her love of educating others. UCLA was more rigorous because it's 
just a much bigger school, but I wasn't leading anything specifically at UCLA. It was more like thinking about what I wanted to do, and I really cared about education at the time and technology. When I graduated, there was a major economic downturn, so nobody was getting jobs, so I had to really be smart about like where is the opportunity, and I saw the opportunity in technology. So my very first job was producing educational software. What does that entail? It's almost like making a little movie. So you had to have characters, you had to be able to program it. It had all these different levels and you had to think about it in a very like kind of complex way. Each person's different in terms of like what they respond to from an educational perspective. So some people respond more to sound or to visual or you know different type of retention and people are at different levels. So if you can use technology to basically help guide a personal journey for somebody that that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do. And I first started as the video and sound editor and then worked my way up to producing actual titles for Davidson Associates and that was my first job. I knew that I wanted to help transform education. As she produced educational software, Melinda realized that she had the entrepreneurial itch. She wanted to create something on her own. So utilizing what she learned at Davidson and Associates, she boarded her first startup. It was like in the mid 90s because it was like literally before really the internet was a huge sensation because it was still packaged CD-ROMs at retail. So it was before it was everything was like really connected. I was at Davidson & Associates and we were producing educational software, but I looked at the movie business because I grew up here and movies had previews, but there were not really previews back then for education games. So there was two gentlemen and it was their idea. And I was like, well, let me come in and do sales and marketing. Was it exciting to leave like a very structured corporate job for something that was new and had like just, was yes. like building from the ground up? And yeah. what, what did you learn in that transition? It's, it's kind of scary to take the leap, but then after you take that leap, you start to trust yourself more. And I think that you learned going into areas that you really know nothing about, but if you are passionate and determined and you you study it and you know what you're doing and what you want to ask for, then you can be successful. And so essentially what we did was we created software PV stations that were at retail and at the end cap and it lifted software sales by like 1200%. Wow. So that was the first company which was called Software Television. How many people were you working with initially? With STV Communications? Yeah. I think there's about 15 of us and maybe we got to like 25. So we're never that big and then we actually sold the company. What was it? like selling a company that you had been on the It was exciting. Floor. Yeah, no, it was really exciting. You're just like, wow, okay. But did you feel at a loss for what to do next? I was so young, so I just wanted to keep going. It was kind of like, let's move on to a different area. I just have a endless curiosity. And then you think about like, okay, what am I excited about? You, you do spend time, I journal, I think about like, what's next? What do I really care about? And so for me, it's the combination of like being in a creative environment and helping like entrepreneurs. After selling that first company, Melinda was invigorated to jump right back into the startup world. She wasn't attached to an idea. She just wanted to build. She fulfills her entrepreneurial drive by constantly entering companies on the ground floor. And I can understand why. That's where things are most exciting. I worked at a, in digital entertainment and marketing. So I worked at Entertainer, which was a really cool company that was doing broadband entertainment like really early on. When I went there, it was literally a startup, but I was like head of marketing and we were raising money and we were backed by NBC, Comcast, US West, Sony. 
um, Sun Microsystems, and that was super exciting because it was it was essentially Netflix, but just very early on. Yeah. So we were too early, so we actually ended up failing. I left before it failed because I'm a head of marketing, so I'm seeing that it's not growing, that we were relying on broadband penetration to happen faster than it did. That's actually when I kind of went and started my own company because I did realize, okay, well, I'm not in charge of making the ultimate decisions. I got frustrated. Failure can be a kind of forced reset. I admired how Melinda assessed entertainer's failure and saw it as an opportunity to convert her frustration into action. So she ventured to start her own creative agency. So then that's when I started They. I started it with another woman that worked with me. It was like 27. And so we started that and it was a creative agency. But it was amazing because we got to work with who we wanted to work with and we got to create the culture and it was our own company. We helped leverage content and services to multiple distribution platforms. So our first year of revenue, and um, second year revenue was really strong for they. The services business, the beautiful thing about that is like you work with all these different clients so you learn so much. And I feel like it also gives you your stripes in terms of if, if you're starting another company, you have management experience mm -hmm. and people are more willing to put money into a person who's done that before. For sure. But if you're talking like hardcore unit economics and scalability, typical service company, you have to add more projects and then you have to hire more people to do that that company also did not sell that one we got caught in the, the first dot bomb so in the services business you're only as good as the existing clients and because we were doing such futuristic work that's the first work that sony cuts down on and excite at home cuts down on and so that what i will say was a painful experience because you're it's like your baby you create this and then you have to shut it down. I mean, it's not like an instant thing, but it becomes more obvious, like the writing's on the wall in terms of where the market is moving. We didn't pivot early enough or fast enough to be able to get other clients, to be able to keep the people and keep the lights on. How fast do you think a company in your position could have pivoted? I mean, it probably takes literally like six months to a year to pivot. So, I mean, you really didn't even have that time because the market moved so fast. So you would have to almost have a crystal ball. I think also the entrepreneurial mindset is like, go, go, go. Don't think about failure, just you know, bore yeah. through. When, when did you realize you couldn't do that anymore? I just remember it was like October and the market just like completely crashed. Unfortunately, like when you look at the economics, like how much does it cost you to have all the staff to rent the space? And then what's the income coming in? And we're just getting farther and farther behind. What was like that, like that, the hardest moment for you? Letting go of all of the people that you work with, you know, that, that have become like your friends and your family. I mean, that's like a terrible, and those are never easy conversations. Those are painful conversations. And I think it taught me something that's important, which is, you know, if you're in the services business, then you're just as good as the clients that you have and then the staff that you have. So those businesses tend to not scale as well as some other businesses where you're just like moving zeros and ones. So it ended up being sort of a big epiphany to never start a services company. But it was a very painful learning experience. My wiser self now would say, if you start a services agency, you have to be specialized in something. So we were specialized in like really cutting edge mobile apps and interactive television. We were ahead of the curve. What we should have done is done part of the business forward thinking and then part of it just more traditional brand building and website development, things like that. It, we wouldn't have been hit as hard we wouldn't have lost all the revenue. 
back in that time, I was in my you know low 20s or mid 20s. I wanted to do the exciting stuff. I, I've always chosen to be more on a roller coaster than a than a merry-go-round. So it's like at this point, and entrepreneurship is much more about a roller coaster. You know, over time there are going to be high, high, high highs and like low, low, low lows. And so you just have to brace yourself um, and know that they're going to come. And even when you're sometimes now I'm on a high, high, high. Like I know there's going to be a low, low, low because it's just the way it is. After her creative agency went out of business, Melinda took a hiatus from the world of entrepreneurship. Losing a company can be traumatic, and I feel there was a need for rest and recovery. For most, rest and recovery might look like a trip to a tropical island, but Melinda decided to get some marketing and agency experience. Yeah, I've done so many different things. I was working at Sony on a lot and like working on marketing and I worked at Rogers and Cowan and I actually worked at CAA on the marketing side. I had a bunch of agency experience and you get to work on a bunch of different brands. So you start to figure out what you think the formula for success is. There were some campaigns I was really proud to be a part of. So I helped work on the Obama youth campaign. So while I was at SSNK, which was a part of CAA, I worked on the Livestrong campaign. Lance was worried he was going to sell, a, you know, a million bands, and we sold 70 million bands. Oh my god! So that was like an incredible movement to be a part of and to help raise awareness for cancer and just redefine the definition of being a cancer survivor. More on Melinda after the break. Hey, Sam here. Did you know if everyone listening right now just told one other person about this podcast, we'd double our audience? That's some crazy growth. To show you how easy it is, I went outside my apartment and asked someone to listen to the podcast. Could you quickly say your name and what you were doing like a moment ago? Uh, I was working a uh, delivery of my name, Emo. D- DJ Emo. DJ Emo. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to drop your SoundCloud? E M O E underscore C P M G. I'm doing a podcast called Finding Founders, and I just wanted to tell random people on the street uh, about this podcast that you should go listen to it. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your favorite thing to do in life? Uh, make music. Make music? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm an artist. Well, I will drop one of his beats right after this. It was that easy. So go text a friend, call a family member, or meet a new person and bond with them over this podcast. <laughs> Thanks, DJ Evo. And now back to Melinda. Feeling the entrepreneurial itch once again, Melinda saw an opportunity with her next company to return to the themes of her early life education and the environment. So I had been doing like kind of several years of agency experience and I just was like ready to do something on my own. So I was doing a lot of journaling and like, okay, what do you really want to do? And I kept noticing like the themes were coming up. It's like, I'm a woman, I love fashion, I love beauty, I love natural products and I love the environment. So Justine and I knew each other from like women in technology and through Step Up Women's Network and she was a new mom. So it's like, what can we do to make the world a better place and to get women to vote with their wallet for ecologically conscious products. And we knew they weren't gonna sacrifice on style or pay less. So we created Loving Eco together. It kind of connected all the things that I really love. It was essentially an e-commerce site. We guaranteed that it was the lowest price on the internet while we had it. So we used something called like a flash sales model. And that was really successful and 
and fun. A lot of people were discovering new brands. It was also exciting to be able to kind of have this amazing education platform and to get people to switch to healthier products. When you see people coming back to the site and they keep purchasing and then you're selling out of stuff, it's like euphoria. Excited to expand her growing company that promoted environmentally conscientious purchasing, Melinda looked toward venture capital for a cash infusion. Justine and I went up to Sand Hill Road to the VCs to explain what we were doing with Loving Eco. And at that time, they really just didn't understand natural beauty and like the environmental stuff. And why do people need organic cream and sustainable jeans? It was literally like speaking a different language. For the market and for raising more money, we were early. And so we did a seed round, but we had a hard time raising a series A, even though our metrics and the business and the cohort analysis and loyalty and average purchase price and all these KPIs that you're judged on were very, very strong. Well, why um, couldn't they see the growth potential if all those were strong? Venture capital is always looking for like extreme growth. We were really speaking a language that they just didn't understand. And so they just didn't want to take the risk. At the same time, we got an offer to be bought out. So it was a choice that we decided so we could keep growing the company. And from inception to sale, it was like two years. So it was really fast. And we sold the company to John Paul DeGiorgio, the guy that runs Patron and Paul Mitchell. I ended up leaving because it was like a baby and I didn't want to see it getting folded into something else. And, and I just was like, I'll just move on. It's hard for me to watch it be purchased by somebody else and then let them direct it. Loving Eco was more than a decade early to environmentally conscious product lines. Today, we see countless online stores promoting environmentally friendly products and using influencers as tastemakers. Loving Eco was doing all this in 2010. Seems like you've been almost a little too ahead of the curve in all your companies. Correct. Like, have you noticed that pattern? Yes. And, and how... How to hit the bell curve. Yeah. <laughs> how, like, how are you going to... We sold it like eight years ago. Yeah. Like eight, so we were literally years ago, like, like a cycle ahead, right? Eventually, I'm going to catch up. <laughs> Eventually. The market's going to catch up or I'm going to fall back. <laughs> and then we're going to connect. Yeah, so like, and I'm going to be a unicorn. Like, how do you have such forethought? And also, how are you going to maybe wait, <laughs> sit on an idea a little longer before you do it? I think what I'll do is I'll definitely do another venture, but for right now, I want to help a bunch of other entrepreneurs. And through that, you meet so many amazing people. I'm learning, they are learning. Maybe the next chapter is me right on the market at the right time yeah. with an idea that's really going to scale with the right team. And it's just going to be like, boom, and it'll be easy to get financing. So dot, 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 stay tuned. <laughs> Moving forward and not wanting to witness Loving Eco be absorbed by a larger entity, she delved into helping the World Economic Forum in Davos, which brings together 2,500 business leaders, international political leaders, economists, celebrities, and journalists to discuss the most pressing issues facing our world today. One of our advisors, his name was Sandy Kleiman, and he was running entertainment media ventures at the time. So he's like, come over to what I'm doing and you'll learn about the investment side. I got to go to Davos and meet all these like world leaders with him because he was head of entertainment for Davos for like 18 
15 years, I was immediately kind of given an opportunity that sounded really interesting, which was like to learn a little bit more of the finance side of the business. I immediately jumped from loving eco into entertainment media ventures. I didn't have a problem with that. I don't really take breaks. I just kind of <laughs> jump. I'm sure maybe like when I do the big one, I'll take a break yeah. and then go. Small break. Maybe I need, maybe I need more breaks. That's yeah. why you're too out of the yeah. ball curve. Exactly. No I keep jumping. So I got to just slow down. Slow down a bit. Jeez. Got to slow my roll. <laughs> While learning about finance, she recognized that she didn't want to keep this information to herself. Wanting to prevent others from the fate of some of her previous companies, Melinda utilized her vast knowledge of entrepreneurship and fundraising to help educate and promote women in the startup world. When we were doing Loving Eco, at the time there were hardly any female entrepreneurs. Even in 2018, only 2% of venture capital money went to female entrepreneurs. And so Justine and I started that together because we recognized how hard it was to raise money. So for the last six, seven years, she and I have been doing Tuesday nights and we're expanding it to San Francisco this week and we're going into New York. What that has created a very powerful female networking organization that helps people raise money, helps people get deals done. We learn from each other. It's such a strong, powerful network. There was one that I was helping and it's called Stod and it's a, a new entrepreneur and she's in the fashion space, but I could just really recognize just her talent, but it was the first company she'd never raised money. And so I helped her um, in the early stages, like really put that company together and helped her raise money and build the website. And she was just in, she went to Tuesday nights and like the day after her first Tuesday night, she got her first $250,000 check. And she was just named like top 30 under 30 on the Forbes list. And she had her second New York fashion show and she's just getting accolade after accolade after accolade right now and raised more money. So it's amazing when you see that that's just one example yeah, yeah I imagine you have but it's a tangible others. there's yeah. there's yeah there's probably 50 examples this move towards the world of finance was a conscious effort to learn as much as possible about what she believed led to the loss of loving eco inadequate fundraising continually educating herself on this new topic she decided to write a book on crowdfunding you know i have that book how to raise money the ultimate guide to crowdfunding which is on amazon but i basically interviewed all the top people that were in crowdfunding and expressed like how you launch a campaign so that people could just take my playbook on my contacts and go do it themselves can you tell me like a few main takeaways that you learned from creating that book and like meeting with all those crowdfunding experts yeah experts i don't think you're going to be surprised that like one of them is the power of storytelling. The why are you doing this? You have to sell what your vision is. And the better you are at selling the why, the better you are at getting investors to believe in you and to back your campaign. I mean, you have to have a good idea and it has to solve something in the marketplace, but it really is marketing and storytelling. If you marry the marketing and the storytelling with the ability to raise finance, then you have unlimited potential. You have to be able to raise money or have money in order to launch a company. So I realized how much, unfortunately, power there is in money because it brings an idea to life. The more that I understand that, then the more ideas I can bring to life because I can provide all of it, including capital. 
looking to bring more ideas to life while still tackling the finance space. She created a company called iConsumer Corp. A couple years ago, I was doing a bunch of speaking because I was into equity crowdfunding and wrote the book, How to Raise Money, The Ultimate Guide to Crowdfunding. And I was approached by the CEO, Rob Grosshandler. He said, let's take this company public leveraging regulation A. This is like hardcore equity crowdfunding. And there was new regulations with Obama and the Jobs Act. And you could raise up to $50 million through tier two of Reg A. Traditional ways to raise money, you can raise money from a venture capitalist and they take equity, or you can raise money from a bank, but it's hard to raise money from a bank when you're an early startup because you just don't have the financial history, so it's almost impossible. You can raise money from like friends and family. Equity crowdfunding democratized the way that you could raise money. You could raise money from both accredited investors and non-accredited investors who are giving away shares, but we just said to people, it's essentially an affiliate e-commerce site. So if you signed up for iConsumer and you shopped anywhere online, I would give you shares in iConsumer. It's a brand new model. Nobody had done this before. It's still running and still going. So I did that for three years. So I learned about equity crowdfunding because what I realized after Loving Eco was how important it is to be able to raise money. After Loving Eco, I would, would have preferred to raise more money than to sell it. Like back to education, I need to educate myself. I wanted to understand FinTech so I could be a more powerful entrepreneur and have better ability to raise money. To this day, Melinda continues her mission to help other entrepreneurs with Tuesday nights and more recently has joined the team at Assembled Brands to continue her service to the entrepreneurial community. I'm really excited to work with Assembled Brands. We're sitting on $100 million of working capital that we can deploy to emerging companies and the consumer brands. And so through my network, I kind of found them and then really realized like how much alignment between my background and their vision and just the culture that they're creating and in terms of like really wanting to help entrepreneurs and be to being able to do it at like more of a mass scale to offer like this collective advice from helping on the CFO side, to the digital marketing side, to the hiring side. We don't do just capital, but we really try to help entrepreneurs in sort of all assets of their business. So I'm identifying, you know, female founder and minority base and companies that I think have great products that are good for the environment or things that I think that would really resonate. And I put those into the pipeline. We're not doing a venture fund, we're doing like working capitals. With working capital, we're not taking an equity stake. So we're allowing entrepreneurs to actually continue to own. Because in venture capital, you give up equity. But if you're not in a very strong position, you can give up 20, 30, 40% of your company for not that much money. So what are you and getting so we don't instead? Do that. So it's a form of credit. Banks, typically they're binding to a home or stuff. Our loans are actually non-binding. So that gives a lot of more freedom to the entrepreneur. It's a relatively new product on the market in terms of financial services. And it was really thought of with like putting the entrepreneur kind of first. Melinda has learned a lot from her extensive career. Here's a few of her most important takeaways. One is, you know, hiring the best people possible. And so I look for integrity, passion, and intellectual honesty. What happens is when you hire those first few people, they basically create the culture and they create your value system. So if you hire these amazing people first, they're just gonna propagate your firm's culture. Number two is like to seek great mentors, recruit world-class advisors, 
or board members. And sometimes they might say no to you at first, but just be persistent. You know, always like think big. And then the third thing is create a diverse team. So I think the greatest chance of success is if you hire across diversity. And so that's gender, race, religion, socioeconomics, and it's gonna help you as a company improve your evaluation of all of the opportunities and the risks. My number four is like fortune favors the bold. Like it's Alexander the Great. Be bold, be aggressive, be determined, be consistent, don't give up, just keep going. And my number five is love is stronger than fear. Be kind, be generous with praise. You have to be honest as well. So if there's criticism, just kind of do it in a way that like has integrity. We as a culture move a lot from fear and everything. And I feel like the power is really coming from moving from love. That was Melinda Moore, serial entrepreneur and founder of Tuesday Nights and Loving Eco. It was a joy talking to her. And what resonated with me most from our interview was this. The best way to educate yourself quickly and efficiently is through action. Melinda constantly saw gaps in her knowledge and filled those gaps by diving headfirst into the industry she felt uncomfortable. After learning that she didn't understand finance and fundraising as much as she needed to, she joined a startup where she learned from economic leaders from around the world, then subsequently created a company and a book around the topic. Learn on the go and you will attain the knowledge you need and have something to show for it by the end. Melinda is the epitome of persistence and only through numerous failures did she achieve success. So, in a sentence, don't give up.